All right. Does anybody know what this is? All right. This is a great question for all of you. Raise your hand if you see this glass and you say that glass is half empty. Raise your hand if you say the glass is half empty. All right. Now, now how many of you out there will raise your hand and you say that glass is half full? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's go back half empty again. Let's see that again. Let's see that again. We're not picking on you that raising your hand right now, but I just want to verify and, and half full. This is the age old question. I mean, this is kind of the outlook. We look at this glass and, and some of us see this same glass and we say, man, that glass is, is half full. And some of us see this glass and we say, man, that glass is, is, is half empty. And the engineers in here, they look at the glass and say, it's twice as big as it needs to be. Am I right? And so, I mean, this is the age-old question, you know, this, this optimism, this pessimism, you know, we all have different uh, tendencies. In fact, there's a, there's a story of uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, and, and, and somebody said, hey, uh, they were talking to one of the guys that used to work with Ronald Reagan, and they said, hey, tell us, tell us some of the jokes that Ronald Reagan used to love to tell. You know, we want to hear his jokes. And so they said, well, Ronald Reagan, he had this one joke that I probably heard a thousand times. Now, my kids say I've got one joke, and I tell it a thousand times as well. So I know what he's talking about with Ronald Reagan here. Um, and, so, and so Ronald Reagan tells this joke, and, it, and the joke concerns two boys of five or six years old. They're, they're twin boys, and, and the parents were worried that their boys developed extreme personalities. You know, there, were, there was one of the boys who was a total pessimist, and there's one of the boys who was a complete optimist and and the parents they got worried you know what if their their personalities go too far in one direction and so uh they take him to the 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 psychiatrist and the psychiatrist first he treats the the pessimistic boy and so trying to brighten this boy's outlook the psychiatrist took the boy to a room piled to the ceiling with brand new toys i mean this is the kind of room that any of us would want to go into am i right And so this would change anybody's outlook. And the pessimistic boy walks in and he starts crying. And and, and the psychiatrist says, well, what are you crying for? And he goes, well, all those toys are going to run out of batteries and I'm going to break them. And and it's just terrible. So then the psychiatrist says, all right, well, let's try this. And and so he takes takes the optimistic boy and he says, you know, know, I'm going to lessen his optimism. And so he takes him into a room that is full of horse doo-doo. Okay, well, politically correct. It's full of horse manure. And, and, and so he's like, man, this, you know, this kid, he's gonna, you know, this is really gonna bring him back down. And so the boy opens the door and smiles. And he runs and he just starts digging through the, the horse doo-doo. And the psychiatrist scratches his head and says, well, what are you doing? And, 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 and the, the little boy says, well, there's gotta be a pony in here somewhere. I mean, you know, I don't know if you are naturally an optimist or if you're naturally a pessimist. Uh, but, you know, if we look around our world, there is reason for pessimism. I mean, just as I think back and you read the news in Yakima the past two weeks, you know, we've got shootings and we've got all these things happening within our city. That's discouraging. We know, we know there are still many, many people who are looking for jobs. We know the economy has, has began to improve, but the economy still has a long ways to go before we can have a lot of confidence in, in where our country is going financially. 
And, and we can look around, and, and, and we can be discouraged. I mean, there's car fires happening. There's all sorts of issues. Plus, many of us, we've got issues in our lives as well. I mean, we get discouraged sometimes by our own sin. We get discouraged by the situation that is happening that we find ourselves, that we find our families in. We see these situations, and they naturally they begin to discourage us. You know, as a pastor, I wonder about our church. As a pastor, I wonder, hey, we are eight months old, and I wonder what God is going to do with our church. You know, I read, I read all these magazines and all these articles that talk about, you know, uh, the church in America and, and, and what has to happen in the church of America. And how for the church in America to grow and to be successful, we have to speak uh, the culture, the language of the culture around us. And if we are going to be successful in the church in America, we have to have the right campaigns and the right programs and the right websites and the right music. And everything has to be just right in order for a church to be successful successful. But what's funny is you read those articles and then the consultant says, hey, and I will tell you the secrets if the price is right. You know, if you pay my fee, I'll tell you the secrets, the secret sauce that you needed to know to have a church be successful in America. And, you know, we look at our world and we can see a lot of reasons to be pessimistic. There's problems, there's cancer, there's death, there's all sorts of things. But I'll tell you something, this year, I'm more optim optimistic than I've ever been about the future of the life of the church and the future of my own and our own personal lives. You see, here in 2014, don't get me wrong, this isn't, this isn't a misplaced optimism. See, a misplaced optimism would say that I am optimistic because I know that I can hang in there. Uh, uh, misplaced optimism would say I'm optimistic because our leaders are capable of, of leaping tall buildings in a single bound. I mean, a misplaced optimism would say, would say that I'm optimistic because of you or because of, of the leaders of the church or because we're such great people. But that's not why I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was in, the, in the face of human frailty, in the face of satanic oppression and worldly attacks, Jesus said, I will build my church. And see, I'm optimistic because 2,000 years ago, as Jesus hung on the cross, he looked down and he said, it is finished. He took care of it 2,000 years ago. And we can have an optimism for what God is doing here today because of what he said 2,000 years ago. You see, these statements that Jesus said, as, 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 as Jesus conquered Satan, death, hell, and the grave, these statements that Jesus said of, it is finished, and I will build my church, they are just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. He really meant what he said. And how could we not then be optimistic? If Jesus said, it is finished, if Jesus said, I will do this, how can we not look and have optimism to what God is doing? See, I hope doesn't come from ourselves. Our hope doesn't come from our pastor and our leaders. But through the finished work of the cross, through Jesus accomplishing his will in our lives. So this leads to our text today. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, um, verses 3 through 8. Uh, you know, this is really a, a great book. I'm excited to be able to teach through this passage. If you need a Bible, if you just want to put your hand up, we've got an usher in the back that would love to, to give you one of these. Uh, let that be a gift to you from us. As we talk about this, this, this idea of moving forward in 2014, 
uh, you know, really, we want to look at, and, and, and we can see some difficulty as to why it seems hard that we can't move forward. But I want to look at God's word and say, you know what, we can be optimistic about what God is going to do in this church and in our lives in 2014. So Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 8. And uh, it says this, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn with you, uh, for I learn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here. We want to thank you, Lord, that, that you are with us. We want to thank you that you are doing a work at every one of us. That, Lord, for every one of us that are believers, you began a good work in us the day that we believed. And Lord, I'm thankful that, that you are the one that will bring it to completion. And Lord, as we pray through 2014, as we look at what, God, you want to accomplish in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would be in step with you, that we would be surrendered to you, and that we would follow you wherever you're leading us. Lord, I pray for this church. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would meet us in this place, Lord, and that you would be our leader. I thank you for your word. I pray that as we look at this passage, Lord, that you would open our eyes to what it is you have to say to us today. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Now, before we look at this passage, I want to look at the background of the Philippians so we understand exactly kind of what we're reading. Philippians is really, it's a great book written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was possibly the greatest missionary that ever lived. It's actually, this letter uh, is a letter written by Paul that he wrote to the church at Philippi, uh, a church that he planted over 10 years prior to writing this letter. And what's interesting is, is Paul is writing this letter. The thing that we don't understand from the very beginning is he's writing this letter while he's sitting in jail. He's in jail and he's writing this letter. You see, Paul had been arrested by the Roman authorities in Jerusalem. Um, after uh, he had gone and preached in Jerusalem, the, the Jews started this m- murderous riot because of his presence there. And so they accused Paul of being a man who was teaching men everywhere uh, against the, the, the people, against the law and against this place, which of course was not true. And so Paul, uh, Paul was, was arrested and was put into jail, and, and he claimed, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And so, so they transferred him to Rome, and that's where we find him now. He's sitting in jail at, in, in Rome. He's been locked up for three or four years now. He's been in jail for a long time. And this is the context for this letter. And while in prison in Rome, Paul was able to write these, the, the, a couple of letter, letters that are known as the, the prison epistles. He wrote the, 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 the book in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and the book, book of Philemon. And so you have four books that are known as the prison epistles that Paul wrote while he is in the context of, of prison in Rome. And so you've got to imagine with me for a second, we talk about optimism and pessimism and, and reasons to doubt. You've got to picture Paul sitting in jail. He's been there for three or four years. Uh, you know, you can imagine the kind of state of mind that he would be in. 
I mean, you can just imagine where he would be. I mean, and, and this church in, in, in Philippi, you got to look at their spiritual giant. Paul started their church. He was the founder. He had played such an important part of their lives. And he is sitting in jail. He's been there for three or four years. They don't know if he's going to ever get out. I mean, you got to picture the frame of mind of what's happening. We talk about reasons why we can be pessimistic today. There are many reasons why Paul and the church at Philippi could have been pessimistic. Their spiritual giant, he's been in jail. And, and, and so on paper, this situation just doesn't add up. There seems to be a, a reason to have doubt. But what I love is this book of Philippians. Is it, is, it isn't a pessimistic letter. Paul is not pessimistic about his situation, and neither are, are the Philippians. This letter is actually a letter of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for how God was using his situation to advance God's own kingdom. The theme of this letter is about joy regardless of our circumstances. And so today, as we are, are, are looking at this series called Moving Forward, about moving forward in our relationships with Christ this year, about being a part of the church and its mission moving forward. See, I'm more than optimistic than ever that God is able to build his church and that God is able to move us forward in our relationship with him in 2014. And so from the wonderfully encouraging book of Philippians, let's, let's see what Paul tells them that keeps them optimistic about what is lying in front of them. First, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read these again. It said, I thank, I thank my God and all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, for you, for all of my... Uh, uh, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, Paul, as, he, as he's beginning this letter, the first thing he does, he says, I want you to honor the past. He, he takes a moment, he says, as I'm writing this letter, I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to honor the past. See, verse 3 says that Paul thanked God for them each time he thought of them. Every time he thought of them, he thanked God for them. Verse 4 says that praying for them was a joy. You know how sometimes praying for people is kind of a burden? Somebody comes up and says, hey, would you pray for me? And you're like, dude, I, I don't know. And, and it's kind of a burden. Paul says, every time I pray for you, it is a joy. And then in verse 5, he says, it is joy because of the partnership, because you partnered with me at advancing the gospel. And so Paul takes his time, and, and he has fond memories of their ministry together, that they had helped other churches, that they'd been a blessing to the body of Christ, that they'd served together to advance the kingdom of God. And so first thing that Paul does is he begins to honor the past. You see, the rem this idea of remembering what happened before, it, it's, a, it's a sacred act in the Bible. It's one that is commanded by God. You see, the Passover is a great example of this at Exodus chapter 11 and 12. Uh, we, we know the Exodus story is where the Israelites were captive, and Moses goes up to the Pharaoh and says, Hey, Pharaoh, you need to let all the Israelites go, all million of us. And, and Pharaoh says, No, you guys are my slaves. We're, we're, we're building our country on your back, and we're not going to let you go. And so there's these nine plagues. And finally, the last plague, the last plague, God tells Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're to kill the lamb, and you're going to take the blood and put it on your doorposts. And then, and then uh, as you do this, the angel of death is going to come 
during the night. And anybody who has the blood on the doorpost, the angel will pass over. But to those that don't have the blood, the angel will take the firstborn son. It's a pretty big deal. And so, and so when this happens in Exodus 12, um, uh, excuse me, in, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing all over the place. In, in, in Numbers 9, there's a command by Moses that they're to observe the Passover meal and remembrance every year, remembrance of what God had done way back then. The, so when we hear the Passover, it is a remembrance of what God did in Exodus chapter uh, 11 and 12. Again, in Joshua chapter 4, we, we hear this great story uh, that G- God had supernaturally stopped the Jordan River from flowing so that the Israelites could get across the river safely. And, and when they got across the river, after they got across, they took 12 stones and they built a memorial that was to act as remembrance for them so they could remember what God had done for them. I mean, we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate communion later today. And, and communion is a commandment to remember that Christ is our Passover for us. That his body and his blood, we have freedom and we are on our way to the promised land because of what Jesus has done for us. And so it is right and it is glorifying for us to remember what God has done in the past. Now for us as an eight-month-old church, it's easy to remember what God's done in the past, because we don't have a very long past. And, and it was fun. My, my wife and I were sitting down this past week, and we were kind of highlighting, what are some of the highlights from 2013? What are some of the highlights in our church that God has done this past year? And there's five fun ones. I, I remember looking at a picture of, of, for those of us that are on the launch team, we had this commissioning time at Westside. Where, where all of us at Restoration Church, we got into the middle of this big room, and there were probably 200 people around us. They all put their hands on us, and they're all praying for us before we launched the church. See, that's a good memory. That's good for us to remember that. I remembered our launched week in May 5th. Uh, our official launch as a church was, was May 5th, 2013. And that weekend, we started our services. We, we were able to pack out this room. And then we had this, uh, this outreach opportunity down on Yakima Avenue at the Cinco de Mayo celebration. We gave out 10,000 water bottles that weekend to, to anybody we could. I mean, those are fun memories. We should look at that and say, praise God. I mean, I think back to this past year, and I think, I think about the, 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 the growth that we've experienced as a church and, and the way that we've been able to bring a bunch of people from different places together. I mean, our, our life groups have been phenomenal. And we've had opportunities to bond through, through our, our picnics in the park and our, and our family meals. I mean, these are things that have made the health of the church by doing these things. I was thinking back about God providing the ministry center for us on Yakima Avenue. I mean, as we're looking and saying, God, would you provide a space that we could have for our ministry center so we could do ch- church, uh, so we could do uh, church stuff midweek? And, and we looked at a lot of places. Some of them were pretty sketchy. And the Lord provided us a great location on Yakima Avenue for, for, for cheaper than what we anticipated. And praise God for that. And then I think back, and I, how one of the highlights for me this past year was, was, was in December, we did our Christmas outreach. Again, we had the opportunity to pack this room with over 300 people that were able to come and just love during the Christmas season. And isn't it great? I mean, it is good. It is positive for us to, to look back and, and, and praise God for what he has done in our midst. I mean, yes, we faced challenges in 2013. Yes, we still have some systems within the church that don't flow as good as they should. We still have blind spots. 
But we should take a moment and we should honor what God has done in our midst this past year because God has done a lot. And we need to praise God for what he has done. And as we move forward, we can't disconnect from the past, but we need to honor and recognize what God has done in our midst. And while, and while we are supposed to honor the past, there is a danger that comes from that. Because sometimes what happens when we honor the past is sometimes we want to stay in the past. I mean, have you ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? You know Uncle Rico? Yeah, a few of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you've got this, you've got this 30-year-old guy who is reliving when he played high school football. And, and, and in the movie, he says, man, if Coach just would have put me in, we would have gone to state. And, and, and he stayed way back in his high school days. I mean, I mean, we see this, right? We see this today. We see people living in the past all the time. We see churches that live in the past. We see churches that were once flourishing, that were reaching people for Christ, that were, that were playing an impact in their city. The problem is, they stayed there. They stayed back and they were never looking forward. And, and, and what happens is when we live in the past, when we, when we live in the past, when we refuse to move forward, we, we erect a mausoleum and we live among the dead. But, but Paul, he's going to continue his letter and he's going to direct them from the past, uh, from honoring the past to looking at the glorious and present future. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, this is one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. I mean, Paul here says this. He says, I am sure of this. He says, there is a confidence that I have. There, there, this isn't just kind of a blind faith, like, you know, kind of, kind of a, a Hail Mary toss at the end of the game. I hope somebody catches it. No, Paul says, I am confident. I am sure of this. He says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. See, I want you to take a, bio, take a, take, take a pen, and I want you to circle the word he in verse 6. And I want you to circle uh, the words will bring, okay? Because this is huge for us to understand. See, who is responsible for our forward growth? Who is responsible for our growth in our lives? He is. This is God. This is the eternal God. This is the, the, the author of our salvation, the personal almighty God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, the all-present God, the loving and the gracious and the righteous and the just God. He's the author of our salvation, and he's the one who ultimately brings forward change in our lives. He's responsible for what he began, and he's responsible to bring it to completion. See, this is huge for us to understand. That is God's that is God who works, uh, who will work in our lives to move us forward to becoming more like him. See, how many times do we live and we think it all depends on us? I mean, how many times do we begin the year and, and we make all these resolutions and say, I'm going to change this year. And what we do is we grit our teeth and we, we clench our fists and we say, I'm going to work harder than I did last year. And I'm going to try harder than I did last year. And, and, and I'm going to will myself to change. And I'm going to cause myself to change. And, and, and so we do that. We clench our fists. And, and, and we grit our teeth. And we try harder. But the thing is, every time I do that, 
I'll see change for a couple of weeks. But eventually I find myself falling back into the same thing I was in the first place. Because the thing is, is, is as hard as we try, who's responsible for the change in our lives? More often than not, we find ourselves back in the place that we started. Because it is God who began a good work in us. And it is God who will bring us forward until it's completed at the day of Christ Jesus, which is the return of Christ. See, this doesn't mean that we're completely off the hook and we don't have anything to do to be involved within it. Philippians 2 talks about us being obedient and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we have to be obedient to what God is doing in our lives. We have to follow his leading. But it says right after in verse 13 of chapter 2, it says, It is God who works in you. I mean, do we understand this? Because so much of religion is about I'm going to change myself. So much of religion is I'm going to make myself look better so that God will accept me. But the thing is, God says it's not about you. It's about him. And all those things that we want to change and we want to be more like God, it's not about us changing ourselves. It's about letting God have his way in our hearts and in our lives. I don't know what your last year looked like. Maybe you had a great year. But maybe, maybe you had a terrible year. Maybe you had trials and circumstances that were difficult. If you have come into a relationship with Jesus, you can know that Jesus began a good work in you. And that you are not alone. That you can know that Jesus is working in your life to bring you closer to God. To make you more like Jesus. That as we obey and follow his teaching and his leading, that he will change our lives and he will move us forward. I don't know how God wants you to apply this verse to your life. I'm sure that God is, is working on your heart. But I want to share with you how God used this verse to speak to me. Parents, do you realize that you can't make your kids come to Christ? Do you realize that you can't make them follow Jesus and make them live for him? Husbands, Wives, do you realize you cannot change your spouse? I know. We said, well, I want to. If I could just change my spouse, man, life would be so much better. But do you realize that we can't change our spouse? The verse says, it is he who began a good work that will bring it to completion. Instead of us trying to manipulate everything and, and change our spouses and change our kids... Shouldn't we be praying and saying, God, would you do a work in their lives? Because it's your business, not mine. As a dad of five kids, this is something that has weighed heavily for Samantha and I. I find myself wishing that I could find the right formula for raising our kids. Wishing there was this perfect formula that if I, if I just did everything right and made all the right choices with our kids, if we sent them to the right schools, if we raised them the right way, we taught them the right things, that that would guarantee that they're going to be successful in life. That would guarantee that they're going to come into a relationship with Jesus. That would guarantee that they're going to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. And I keep looking for this, for, for this, for this secret sauce, for this right formula to do it. But parents, 
Do you realize it is God who begins the good work in our kids' lives? And it is God who will bring it to completion. It is God who will lead them forward in life. See, this is hard. This is hard on a dad. This is hard to let go of the control of the outcome of their lives. I mean, they're my kids. How can I just let go and trust that God's going to do it? But the truth of the matter is, there have been great and godly parents who have gone before, who have done everything just right, who have followed the formula, who have said, God, I'm going to do this the way you want me to do it. And their kids have chosen not to follow Christ. Their kids are are not in a relationship with God. And, And the parents, they did everything they could, did everything just right. But we are not responsible for the outcome. We did not begin the good work in their lives. It is God who did. Don't get me wrong, parents. Let's be wise. Let's, let's, let's do all we can to point our kids to Jesus. Let's, let's make Jesus the most important thing. Let's teach them the right way. Let, let's put them in situations where they're going to come into a relationship with Christ. But let's take the responsibility for the outcome of their lives out of our hands and place it squarely in the hands of whom it belongs, in God's hands. See, this is hard for us to do. But husbands and wives, parents, let's trust that God will do this because it's his work and not ours. As a church, isn't it good to know that this church doesn't necessarily depend on me or on you? I mean, we've had some people come and go this year. We've had some people that were on our launch team in in April that were here with us, and they're no longer with us. And there's been a few times that this has happened, and it's kind of felt like a like a blow to the gut, you know, just uh, 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 and and it hurt. And I and I remember sitting there saying, "God, what are you doing? God, God, how? Why? I mean, how are we gonna? God, I don't get this. Why would you do this?" And I'm hurting and wondering and saying, God, what's, what, what's the deal? But you know what? When Jesus said in Matthew 16, when he said, I will build my church, he's saying, I began a good work called the church. And he's saying, I will bring the church to completion. <laughs> and as I look at 2014, there are questions. There are issues to address. There is uncertainty. <laughs> but I have confidence that this is Jesus' church. That he began it, and that he will build it, and that he will bring it to completion. And fortunately, he just asked for our obedience to be a part of it. But we're just that, we're just a part of it, because it's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. And so as we look forward to 2014, we don't do so in our own power, but we trust in God's plan. We trust in God's will, and we trust in God's strength. Last point, look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is I witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, as Paul looks at moving forward, notice his longing for those the Philippian church. There's a deep connection that Paul has with them. That, that in a time that he should be discouraged, in a time that he should be down in the dumps, 
at a time uh, that he should be just, just, just losing it, his connection to God's people gives him strength and encouragement. See, lastly, I want us to see the, the connection between moving forward and being in fellowship with God's people. Number three for us today. Notice the connection between moving forward and being in fellowship with God's people. You see, the, rela- the relationship of Christians in the local church and in the church of Jesus Christ uh, as a whole worldwide, it is a one-of-a-kind relationship. Certainly there is a uniqueness of the family relationship of a husband and a wife and children where God is honored on a daily basis. This is the basis of our society. This family unit is, is God's creation. But there is also a special uniqueness of the spiritual family in the local church. In the local church, it's a place where Christians are all accepted by Christ. And because of our common standing in Christ, because we all are unified under how Jesus saved us, we can all accept each other as well. I mean, I mean when you look at the, around the entire world, there's no place that experiences true unity other than in the church, other than in the context of the church. You see, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your story. We are all unified by the saving relationship of Jesus Christ. You see, this, this local church, this local church, it's where we learn to give and take. And at times, we have to learn to ask forgiveness of each other and of God. This local church is where we learn about God's word and we learn what God wants to do in us and through us. The local church is where we pray for one another and we encourage one another. The local church is where when one of us suffers, we all suffer. The local church is where when one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. The local church is where we can keep accountable to one another. Now see, I'm not sure what kind of church background you have. But unfortunately, I know there's a lot of people that have been hurt by people in the church in the past. There's baggage that you bring because of what's happened in the past. I'm sorry. Instead of finding love and grace and encouragement, you've been met with judgment and condemnation. I'm sorry for what you've experienced. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said that that the world would know that we are Christ's disciples by our love for one another. And while we here at Restoration Church are not a perfect church, I can say that we are trying to be that kind of a church. That we are known for our love. That we are known for our unity. That that it doesn't matter where you come from, we unify under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what we have in common. And that's the banner that we carry and say, this is why we are here, because of what Jesus has done for us. See, this is a place that we are trying to be the kind of church that will love you and that will accept you regardless of where you've been, regardless of your race, regardless of your economic background, regardless of your past. You see, it is a diversity. It is that diversity of background that creates the beautiful mosaic of what is truly God's church. It is a mosaic of all these people coming together that God puts together and says, this is beautiful. See, this is a background that Paul is writing from. He's in jail. He's got lots of uncertainty about what lies before him. But he's connected to God's people. He knows he's not alone. See, life isn't meant to be lived alone. 
And I'm thankful for how God has brought Restoration Church together this past year. I mean, it's been tremendous seeing how God has knit our hearts together in fellowship and how God has taken uh, what started as, as 50 adults and how as God has grown us and allowed us to be connected together. I mean, we were, we were strangers a year ago. Most of you I didn't know a year ago, and God has brought us together. And there is a joy that, I, that we get from being here together, from living life together. There's an encouragement. There's, I mean, uh, you can see stories of this w- with the Ayalas. You know the story of, of Priscilla, Priscilla and Francisco Ayala. Francisco was arrested and was in the process of deportation. And this was a scary time for Priscilla. Priscilla's lost her husband. She has no clue what's going on. And I love seeing a church say, hey, we love you. We're going to come alongside you, and we're going to walk with you through this. I mean, that is a picture of what the church is supposed to be. That, that we rally around each other and say, you're not alone. I'm here with you. I mean, this is a story of, of we know, some of you have heard that, that Rob and Belinda Caldwell, that, that Rob has taken a job that's going to move their family to Wisconsin in June. And you know what I'm excited about? It's through this whole process that they've been seeking God. God, are you leading us to Wisconsin? There's been people behind them saying, we love you. We're going to pray with you. I mean, there's, there's, there's some sadness that definitely comes. And there's some joy for what lies ahead. And we're experiencing that alongside the Caldwells. I mean, that is what the church is about. We aren't supposed to live alone. We're supposed to live together in the context of community. That is what it's supposed to be. We are stronger together. Together we can walk through life, moving forward as God shapes us and molds us. See, I want each of you to experience this. I want each of you to experience what Paul is talking about when he says, I long for you with the affections of Jesus. I have such a love for you the way that Jesus loves you. That's how I love you. And I want to be with you. I'm going through a hard time and I want your fellowship. I want every one of us to have that kind of connection with people. That we aren't alone. On our darkest days, on the days that everything's falling apart, you're not alone. So this year, as a desire to move forward, would you commit to the local church? Would you commit to being a part of this group right here? Or wherever you're from, the church that you're from, would you commit not just to show up once in a while, not just to have a, a casual relationship with the church, but would you commit? i tell you what this requires of us. This requires that we put ourselves out there a little bit. Requires that we open ourselves up. But I tell you what, the benefits far outweigh the, the, the fear of opening ourselves up. The fact that, that, that you can be going through life and, and the trials of life and you're not alone. You've got people walking right beside you. See, we won't be a perfect church. The truth is, we are just a group of unperfect people following a perfect God. But together, we will walk through life together, moving forward as God shapes us. We have many ways to be involved here at Restoration. Life group is an easy way. We're starting life groups. Get plugged in. Life groups are nothing crazy. They're an opportunity to come together once a week to study God's word and, and to pray for each other and to just live life together. To say, hey, how do you do this? I'm struggling with this. Would you help me through it? That's what it's about. 
We're going to have opportunities for, for women's ministry and, and for men and for youth and, and for, for mentoring. And, and, and we, have also, we have some great opportunities in front of us this, this year. Can I invite you to be committed to the church? To be committed to the fellowship of God's people right here? I want to close this morning and ask you to, uh, to do something with me. As the worship team comes forward, I want to ask you to, 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 to pray with me for 2014. To pray that God would do, continue that good work in our lives. That, that God would bring about that forward progress that we're all seeking. That God would bring about the change that we desire. That God would have his way in our lives. I want to pray that, that God would cause to be a part of this local church. That we would commit to, to the mission of moving forward for where God is leading. And as we do that, I want to do this by, by observing communion. See, as we look forward to 2014, we can't forget what Jesus has done for us because that's the strength that we move forward in. It's through Jesus' strength. Jesus instituted this practice of communion on the night he was betrayed. He described the broken bread as representing his body broken on the cross for our sin. And, and the juice, the cup, symbolized the new covenant established between God and his people through the shedding of Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of our sins. See, the Apostle Paul described communion <clears throat> as an act of remembrance, as an act of worship, a way in which we remember Jesus and his sacrificial death for us. As an act of worship, Paul instructs us that, that before we, 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 we take communion, we're to examine our lives for sin. Examine our lives for ways that are out of whack with what God would want. And to confess that before him. And to spend that time with him prior to observing communion. So I encourage you this morning to spend some time personally in prayer. In your seat between you and God. Wrestle with him. Get out what needs to be gotten out. And when you're ready, I invite you to come forward to, 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 to take communion. If you'd like someone to pray with you, if you'd like say, hey, pastor, I'd like to pray with you. I'm dealing with some things. I, I, I want to see this change in 2014. But pastor, would you pray with me? Come on forward. I'd love to be able to pray with you. So during the next couple of songs, we're going to have an opportunity to observe communion. Don't come forward in the beginning. Wait till you're ready. Take some time to pray between you and God. And then when we take communion, we don't take it as a whole. We take it individually when you're ready. So just come on up when you're ready. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for those statements 2,000 years ago when you said, it is finished. God, we want to thank you that you said you will build your church we want to thank you that your word says that you began a good work in us and that you will bring it to completion. And God, for every one of us in here, God, we want you to do a good work in us. We want you to continue to use us. And God, I pray for 2014, God, that you would use us in, in amazing ways, that we would be surrendered to what you have for us, that it wouldn't be about what we want, but it would be about what you want, God. God, I pray that we would just be obedient to you and that we would surrender to you and that we would follow you and that you would guide every day of our lives, that you would use us in, in amazing ways. God, I pray for those in here today who 2013 wasn't a good year. 
there was hurt, there was difficulty, there was conflict. Lord, I pray that you would meet them today. That you would give them a hope. The hope that Paul has, that, 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 that while you can look at the back, don't live, look at the past, don't live there. But move forward because God has given you that promise that he has began that good work and he will continue to bring about that good work. God, I pray that we will look and see the optimism for what you're doing in 2014. That we would move forward with you. Lord, we love you and praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in this place. We thank you for what you've done for every one of us. That on the cross, you gave us the life that you took our sin to give us your righteousness. Lord, I pray that as we remember what you've done in communion on the cross, Lord, that you would just use it to reconnect us with you. Lord, we love you and praise you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.